Hi there, and welcome to Armchair Quarterbacks. My name is Tara Mahoney, and I'm here with Jonathan Scott. Today, we're talking about Ontario Conservative leader Patrick Brown. Who is this guy, and what is he about? Ashley Chinati is here to tell us. But before we get to that, we want to let you know you can save on a subscription to Looney Politics premium content, offering must-read Canadian political commentary with the code armchair at looneypolitics.com. So go there and do that right now. Without further ado, here's episode six on Patrick Brown. So today we're talking with Ashley Chinati, uh, who's a writer, web producer, and columnist with the National Post and a co-host of Canada Land, Canada Land Commons, which is one of the better podcasts out there on Canadian politics. Uh, and we're talking today about Patrick Brown, the new, new-ish conservative leader in Ontario. He's a bit of an enigmatic figure. He uh, was elected to Barrie City Council in his early 20s when he was still in law school then was elected as a member of parliament as part of the Harper Conservatives, where he sat on the backbench throughout his late 20s and early 30s. He then uh, jumped ship from the Harper government about a year before they went down to defeat to become the conservative leader in Ontario. Uh, As a Harper backbencher and a conservative leadership candidate, he really ran on a fairly uh, hard-right platform on social issues, uh, voting against same-sex marriage, voting uh, to reopen a discussion of abortion rights, and uh, opposing sex ed. But since becoming leader, he's sought to present a more modern face, uh, saying he supports a form of carbon tax and uh, taking a few tries, but eventually landing to say he supports the sex ed curriculum as is. So, Ashley, I guess kind of a first question is, that's, I think, a fairly unbiased interpretation of the guy's career. It's been a little bit of everything. Uh, What's your take on him? I guess he's sort of the definition of a career politician, right? He was first elected in his early 20s to municipal politics, and he has spent his entire adult life in elected office. And I don't think that being a career politician is necessarily a terrible thing. It's often used, you know, as a bit of a slur. I think it can be a good thing if someone really dives into knowing how various processes and different levels of government work. I mean, I think there's something valuable about the idea of having a provincial party leader who's familiar with all three levels of government. That said, what's so fascinating about Patrick Brown is that he doesn't seem to have any sort of core ideology that guides his policies. And especially right now when his party is leading in the polls, he basically just seems to be trying to have as few firm positions as possible because they don't really need to come out with a whack of policies that could then be picked apart for months between now and the 2018 election. And basically, that was one of the biggest mistakes I think that Tim Hudak made was having very strong ideological stances on a lot of very controversial things that got the unions and other interest groups in Ontario very, you know, rallied up against him or riled up against him before they were even in an election campaign. As much as I, as a reporter, really appreciated sort of those in-depth policy papers his party was putting out politically, it might not have been the smartest thing. Yeah, I mean, Andrew Coyne tweeted, uh, 
quite a while ago now, but uh, it's still relevant. He tweeted, the emptiness of Patrick Brown is vast and impenetrable, like the Siberian forest. Um, the, other thing, the other thing I'd mention about Brown is he is like an avid hockey player and hosts a lot of like hockey charities and marathons and is buddies with um, like Mike Gartner and some other uh, famous hockey players. So um, that's just kind of an, an interesting thing about him. This week he put out an op-ed about the NHL not being in the Olympics and everyone said, but where's your plan on like hydro that you promised us? Um, so Ashley, you, you mentioned that it's frustrating that he doesn't have any sort of plans out there yet, but didn't that, and you mentioned how that didn't work for Hudak, but it did work for Justin Trudeau in a sense. And Brown has promised this policy conference in November, I think where the grassroots get to write party policy in the open is is that like that seems slightly risky but also slightly democratic what, what do you think of that suggestion so i think the one really interesting thing about the fact that the one policy he's come out with is the idea that he supports a carbon tax because he often is trying to create a narrative of himself as this sort of old school 1990s version of a red tory he talks a lot about having a lot of respect for jean Charest and jean Charest's work to um, address the acid rain issue and other environmental protections so i feel like the reason he came out with that as like one policy that he actually supported was because it might actually be something he may genuinely believe and i say this as someone who's written stories about him being an who really has a hard time trying to understand what this guy does or doesn't stand for because he just tries to avoid having a position on so many things. But then this one thing they say they come out and support the idea of a carbon tax is hugely offensive to a huge chunk of their base. And then he also won't answer questions about what type of carbon tax he means, how he would like it implemented. And we hear a lot of questions this week as the cap and trade auction went well in Ontario, what his stance on dismantling that actually means now. He won't come out with a hydro plan. I, again, though, I'm not sure if this is bad politics. I really don't. I think for, for people who like policy, you know, I agree with Andrew about the idea that there's like this vast emptiness around this man right now but no one really pays attention to Queen's Park between elections outside of like hardcore political watchers so it's actually kind of a smart game that they're playing right now keeping their cards close to their chest as much as I may find it it frustrating and um you know, unfair to voters who do want to have a good amount of time to to weigh who this man is who might be premier of this province in, you know, a little over a year and whatever, three months. Um, I don't think I don't think that we're all of a sudden going to start getting like vast, clear policy statements from Patrick Brown. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the carbon tax a fair bit in your last answer, Ashley. And this week we saw kind of a weird thing happen in Tory land where Brown's deputy leader endorses Kevin O'Leary for conservative leader. Now, Kevin O'Leary's come out and basically said, I think an exact quote was, he'll declare war on any province or provincial leader who campaigns in favor of a carbon tax. And that would include Brown. So, like, what the heck's going on there where, like, the conservative deputy leader is endorsing a guy who wants to tank his own leader? Well, I think that there's a lot going on there. Um, I think, first of all, it's Kevin O'Leary being, you know, his bombastic absolutist 
self when if he actually were to win the party leadership, maybe the realities of of party politics and different allegiances would would change that a little bit. You know, of course, he's going to go after the Rachel Notley's and Kathleen Wynn's of the world, but who knows if he would go after if there's a Tory government in place in Ontario when he's running against the Liberals federally. I, for some reason, I don't think he's going to campaign against someone on his own team. But you never know with the Kevin O'Leary types of the world. We saw, you know, Donald Trump basically took on every Republican he could and still won. So I think if we put that aside and we're trying to answer the provincial question about what's going on with that, with with um, Steve Clark, Brown's deputy leader endorsing Kevin O'Leary, I think it's just that the Tories don't have a cohesive plan of who they're endorsing for the federal leader. They're all individuals who are members of, most of them are members of both parties, if not all. And I just don't think that they put a, you know, a, um, a restriction on them as to who they can endorse. Now that could get parsed and there could be bad optics there. But again, you know, I think it's such inside baseball that if you said to some guy on the street is pissed off about his hydro bills and his kids, you know, maybe his kids are in an overcrowded classroom and he can't get his mother into a long-term care home that's close to his house. What he thinks about the deputy leader of the official opposition endorsing Kevin O'Leary for federal party leader, he'd probably laugh at you and say, like, that has no bearing on my life. So right, I, right. I think it's something that co- political watchers will tie over and wonder what it means. But I, I it, at most... Perhaps it's a symptom of internal caucus dissent over the idea of a carbon tax. So let's talk about um, the suggestion that Brown is sexist. We've heard that a lot from the liberals. Um, We, uh, you know, could maybe uh, talk a little bit about, um, you know, how he just conducts himself uh, in his personal life, the sort of rumors that like sort of circulate around this. Um, uh, Brown seems to have like a fairly, or has had a fairly uh, socially conservative track record. Um, But what would you, what would you say about, um, about those allegations? Well, we don't know very much about his personal life. Like he keeps, at least publicly, we don't. Everyone sort of hears different, Mm -hmm. different extreme rumors. And I've heard like such, so many different things that like I just dismiss so many of them because they're so contradictory of each other. Um, but he is, you know, not married, doesn't have kids. Uh, I, I heard he's in, he's in a, a semi longer term kind of dating relationship with someone, but that's his private life. And I don't think frankly, it's much of our business. Um, but I think the allegations of, of the sexism against him or members of his caucus are a double-edged sword for the liberals because I think they really started to overreach with it. I think that when you had uh, last year an MPP, Jack McLaren, got in trouble for like some overtly sexist jokes, had to go to sensitivity training. Um, then McLaren made some oddly questionable statements about sexual assault and physicians uh, that was more phrased poorly because a couple experts in the area had break, had raised the same issue, but just like more eloquently and less offensively. But then the liberals also did this weird attack where they said that Brown was going to a speech at a men's only club. It just wasn't true. Mm. And that kind of stuff is what gets people laughing and then not listening the next time you're trying to say this guy might have a problem with women or gay people or other social groups. 
And I think the Liberals are overplaying their hand a little bit on that, especially so far out from a, an election. You don't say, you don't use the big like isms like sexism or racism or or you know bigotry towards the LGBT community unless you actually have something big enough to warrant those allegations, or you become sort of the chicken little of identity politics, and people are so sick of the constant outrage cycle that then they just stop listening to you. So I want to play devil's advocate on that, though, because my understanding was it was kind of reported differently in, uh, like, the post-media network compared to the Toronto Star, this men's-only speech. Uh, My understanding was he was speaking through something called the Cambridge Club that is men's only, but the Liberals kind of jumped the gun, criticized him for doing it, and instead he ended up speaking at the Toronto Athletic Club, and there were at least four women in the room, two of whom were his caucus colleagues. One was his younger sister, I understand. So it's entirely possible that he was going to speak to a men's only club, and the Tories effectively like managed to pull back from that switch the venue, make sure there were some women in the audience, take a picture, and then say, holy crow, the Liberals overreached. That was kind of like the other interpretation of the whole event. Is there any truth to that view of what happened? See, I had a lot of issue with the way the star framed the story because they really did make it seem like he was speaking at this event. And like within minutes of the Liberal, like the Liberal Caucus Services Bureau is what, or the party is what sent out the press release saying Brown was speaking at a men's only club. And it was such a quick turnaround, the response from the Tories media team that I really don't think that they had time to have even called the Cambridge club or the Toronto athletic club and said like, Hey, let's switch the venue. So we don't cause a controversy. And the person who really dug into this for us was David Reevely with the Ottawa citizen. Um, we run his content as well here at the national post. And I, I really agree with his, with his analysis that this was them, overreaching because it really did seem like this was at the Toronto Athletic Club all along and the Cambridge Club, because it's associated with it, was also just promoting it as well. Yeah. Um, now, it, it, it could be possible that this was organized with the Cambridge Club and they were just having it at the more open venue so that like members of Brown's own caucus could come. Who knows? Um, but I, I genuinely believe that that was always intended to be a a an event at the Toronto Athletic Club that I think maybe the Cambridge Club was the men's only one was taking the lead on it or taking the lead on promoting it um which you could question I'm not saying I love that group being like yeah this is our guy um but I, I really do think this was this was an overreach and frankly the liberals should have let him do it if they knew it was happening and then called them out on it afterwards. Right. I mean, a lot of this is kind of inside the inside baseball, but uh, I think there is this element where you mentioned some of his caucus colleagues. There was another guy who uh, made a joke to a female scientist in a committee meeting. Maybe you could do something about this terrible coffee. And a liberal female MPP immediately said, why are you asking this woman to go get the coffee? Um, So there's this weird problem that Brown kind of inherits, um, and I realize I'm the man in the conversation raising this, so that's slightly ironic, but he's a kind of bachelor, frat boy, hockey bro type guy representing a caucus that's predominantly old white guys from rural Ontario. So 
without excusing it, is they're just like this inevitable like lack of sensitivity for, um, do you know what I mean? Like, is there almost this kind of inherent 1950s attitude that they're just going to consistently step on by nature of being mostly old white men? And I guess I'd also just, I'd also just add, like, there's been four or five by-elections and every single one of them has been uh, an old man, except for the time they elected a 12-year-old social conservative from Niagara Falls. <laughs> a little baby Tory. Who's also um, and, and a, like, probably even more socially conservative than some of the older yeah. guys in the like that like like the 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 young MPP is about as socially conservative as it gets to the point that the wine industry is um upset that they might not have a good champion at Queen's Park the way they did with Tim Hudek because he doesn't drink. Um, well, <laughs> and they're like, but Tim Hudak was such a great advocate for Ontario wine for us. They're like, I guess like he'll, he'll do his bit for like a business in his constituency. I'm sure. But you know, if you don't really like it, you're not going to be as vocal a, a person for that industry. Uh, he's 19. He's, I think he turned 20. Actually. I think he lost oh, okay. his teen years. So good for him. Um, <laughs> he, he seems like an earnest young man. Yes. Who's, you know, really believes what he's saying. So I guess that is great for him. Um, I think it's not necessarily great for Brown to have. Whew, there's a there's a lot of candidates that they have who've said or done things in the past that just don't fly well in your, you know. Toronto, Kitchener, London, downtown Windsor, like Ottawa proper areas, but it does work well in, you know, the Valley. It does work well in Huron County. And I don't think we can dismiss how much sometimes voters in certain areas get riled up when the urban press, you know, slams their local guy for something they see as, as too much political correctness. So I think it's a really delicate dance for Brown because he does need to win at least the outlying GTA, if not, you know, a good number of four and six seats proper after the seat redistribution to become premier, but he has to balance. Like he has a rough caucus to balance as it is. And by the time they have all their nominees, like it's, it's an interesting game he's going to have to play. And the Tories, the one thing I will say definitively that I am very bothered by, they have not nominated enough women. They say they're doing open nominations, but they have been getting involved in different places and they, they're the diversity on their ticket so far is, is essentially like lackluster it's void like it, it, they have done very little to broaden the tent of the of the tory of uh, the tory brand at least what it looks like mm. well and 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 i'll just say again i think there's been five maybe four by elections where brown's been leader he's run almost all men and i think the liberals and the ndp have ran almost all women against those men it, and i mean that's a small sample size because it's by elections but it's just another interesting tidbit there yeah, and I, I think that is concerning. Um, and John mentioned earlier that this maybe is a little, all of this is maybe a little inside baseball. 
But do you think any of this actually permeates into the public consciousness? Like, do you think that any of this gets to people? Like, they look at him or they hear things about him. Do they even hear this about him? And uh, because he's doing well uh, in the polls right now. Um, and I'm wondering if you think, like, do you think people really like him enough to elect him next year? So I don't know if it's him who's doing well or just the idea of the alternative to the liberals. Because yeah. if you actually drill down into a lot of the polling, it's the Tory brand is doing well, um, which is still a strong brand and recognizable in this in this province. But if you look at the recognition, like, still only about half the population even knows who he is. Mm. Um I could call my mom up. She reads her local paper every day. She watches her local newscast. She like lives with CNN on in the background. And I could ask her who Patrick Brown is. And I'm pretty sure she wouldn't know. And, um, and she's like, she's at the point where she's like, she's mad about her hydro bill. She, if she were polled, if she picked up like a forum poll call or, you know, campaign research or whomever, she would probably say she's not super pleased with the liberals right now. But if it came down to brass tacks of like who she's going to check a box, off for in the next election, she would probably stay with Wynn because she likes her um, and she's seen her. And when my brother was running a bakery, the premier came there. Do you know what I mean? Like, like mm-hmm. the premier in person is so strong mm-hmm. that I think that's what Brown really has to worry about is what happens when people start paying attention. Mm-hmm. Because right now he's coasting and he's coasting on the fact that people are mad at the government. But he can't be someone without a plan when he's actually standing up on a debate stage between two women who both run province-wide campaigns before, who've both done the debate thing before, and who both um, have pretty strong ideas of what they want to do in power. Yeah, and I mean, I thought it was really interesting. He put out these kind of introductory web ads, and one of them actually disclosed that he used to suffer from a stutter. And it was designed, I think, to, to tell an like a humanizing story of him overcoming adversity. But there's also this element to which it kind of contextualized the fact that for a, for a mainstream politician, he's a fairly socially awkward guy. I mean, the, the knock against Tim Hudak was he looked robotic on camera, but he was this great, fun mm-hmm. guy to have a beer with in person. Brown's kind of awkward on camera and off camera. Um, so that's just kind of an interesting dynamic where the premier is like very avuncular and, you know, even people who hate her warm to her in person. And then Andrea Mm -hmm. Horvath is like, just like the girl down at the Hamilton pub who tells it like it is and is really strong in terms of having this kind of like moral clarity. Mm -hmm. And people know her as Ashley uh, pointed out before. Yeah. And so Brown's left with this. I think the theme is even if some of this is inside baseball, it's inside baseball because there is no other defining characteristic to latch on to for Brown. Um, And so I've got a bit of a weird wind-up for this last question, I think, and that is to kind of just trace Patrick Brown flip-flopper for a second. So on climate change, when he was uh, a Harper conservative, he he was opposed to a carbon tax in favor of cap-and-trade. Then when he ran to be a conservative leader provincially, he was opposed to pollution pricing in general. Now he's in favor of carbon tax against cap and trade. He was against same-sex marriage before he was for it. He was against abortion before he was kind of indifferent to it. He was against the sex ed curriculum before he was for it, before he was against it, before he was for it again, before he was against it, before he was for it again. And I actually counted. 
Like he's had <laughs> six or seven different positions on sex ed, four or five on climate change, two or three on women and LGBT rights. Like how can he um, get out from under this like weird baggage he's inherited as a guy who's been a politician since he was like in law school? Um, Well, you know, what you said was a lot there, right? And I think being, getting branded as a flip-flopper is a dangerous thing in politics in general. It shows a lack of conviction. However, he has also started to develop a very good answer about coming around and changing his mind and learning more about the sex ed curriculum. I think when you go back to like a vote that's a decade ago in the House of Commons and now he's a provincial leader, I think for some people that just starts to get a little bit too too detailed. Um, the question is, I think it's how do you make that a moment in a campaign that make people pay attention? Because I think if you start trying to do these these questions now, no one's paying attention. But how do you find a way for the premier or Andrea Horvath on a debate stage to say to him, no, you voted against, like, like how can I how powerful that would be to have Premier Kathleen Wynne standing there saying, you voted against my ability to marry my wife, and you're standing here telling me that you no longer believe that? Please, Patrick, tell me what your aha moment was. Like, how do you orchestrate that? Because mm. I think that's the only time his flip-flopping really becomes valuable is when it becomes its own clip and news story. Hmm. I think that's a good point. I lied. I have one last question. There was uh, a pretty bad interview on uh, Hydro, I think on News Talk 1010, where he like tried to argue that hydroelectric is green energy, and that was the most substantive thing he had to say. <laughs> Do you, I think everyone remembers what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. Flip-flopping is one thing. Lacking an ideological core is another. There seems to be this other notion out there that, like, he's just not very bright. And I don't buy into that, but I'm curious what your take is on that. No, I don't think he's – I think he's pretty smart. Like, he, he – his, his French is solid. He, he definitely knows when he's being cagey. I think he's terrified of saying anything. And I think, actually, the one place where – if you start to screw up on talk radio um, and on the regular and you're a conservative politician in this province, you're in trouble. Mm. Because if you get if you get the News Talk 1010s and the 680s and the 640s of the world very skeptical about your abilities and your plans and you get those hosts being like, who is this guy? He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's not going to help you. Like, that is a powerful voice still in politics in, in this province. Like people who, who drive care a lot about issues like carbon taxes, about road tolling, stuff like that, where the Tories should be having wins. And if he's getting in trouble with that crowd of, of like the, the, the talk hosts and the commentators and the pundits of the province, um, that should, a lot of those listeners should be his base. And if they start to question his, you know, his intelligence or his his sense of any direction, that actually even a year out from an election is a problem for them, for sure. Ashley, thank you so much um, for your time today and your insight. Um, we look forward to hopefully speaking again with you soon. Yeah, that was great. Thanks, guys. So, first of all, 
you might hear a bird in the background. I'm recording in my living room, and there is a bird on my patio this entire time, and it's too lovely weather to close the window, so just sorry about that. Uh, second so of jealous. all, <laughs> that was a bit of a meandering conversation Tara and I had with Ashley, and it's kind of because there's all these like different caricatures and almost memes out there about Patrick Brown, and yes, some of them are inside baseball-y, and Yes, some of them are very contradictory, but that's the nature of having this fairly unknown mm. uh, guy, but not just that he, he is unknown. It's almost as if he doesn't know what he himself stands for. Um, I kind of gave a caricature of him to Ashley where I was recounting the like six or seven different positions he's had on sex ed, for instance, or four or five different positions he's had on climate change and pollution pricing. And it sounds funny, but at a certain point, um, it's it's also just weird to have been in politics for like nearly 20 years to not even be 40 years old and to not have a kind of animating reason for doing it all. Um, I'm, and I people will suggest his reason for doing what he does is just to curry favor with whomever is in front of him in a given room. And that's dangerous. Um, I I want. Yeah. I would say, like, uh, you know, he, you meant you mentioned his um, his stint with the Harper Conservatives, like, you know, uh, Stephen Harper changed his position on LGBTQ or L, uh, like gay marriage. So did Obama and Hillary Clinton, right? Yeah. So, like, yeah, okay, okay. So, so that's one thing, right? But like. I mean, I don't like Stephen. I'm not about to like say like a good thing about Stephen Harper. I don't think. But one thing I I can respect about him is that you know like you you knew what you were getting with him, right? Like like I didn't like what I was getting, but I knew that I knew that like I knew what he was gonna. I knew what he's gonna put forward, like because that's just the kind of guy he is. That those are his values. He's a conservative, but with Patrick Brown, it's this weird like like. He, he he's like a bat he's like a like a bag of marbles and like you pull one up and it's green and you pull the next one out and it's purple and you well, know yeah that's it, it's a, a good an, that's such a good analogy because like harper basically surrendered he realized he'd lost this particular culture war clinton and obama talked about like evolving and it was almost a spiritual faith-based decision for them in a sense with brown i mean I guess it was last summer, maybe the summer before when he was first conservative leader. I think he went through like a different position on this sex education curriculum. He went through like three different positions in the course of a month. Mm -hmm. So it's not like he evolved or matured per se. It's that he's kind of been feeling his way out loud. Yeah. He's testing what works. And that's, I, I agree. Like, I thought that what Ashley said about being someone being a career politician, like there's something useful in that. I took that and I was like, okay, yeah, I give that concession. Like, you know, someone who knows how all three levels of government work, that's useful. But I would be concerned about electing someone who is just going to do 
anything. Like who doesn't, right. I, I don't know, someone who's unpredictable and doesn't have, as you say, any, it doesn't appear to have any core values. Um, and I actually want to say, like, I think that that's part of the reason why people didn't elect Hillary Clinton. Like, mm. I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, certainly Donald Trump doesn't have any core values. Like I have no idea what that guy believes in, but I don't really think pe- I, she didn't offer a strong enough alternative. Like, I don't even, I don't think people believe that she's, that she believed what she was saying because they were just like because you're not you're they said you know that you're a career politician and you're they felt that she was an opportunist maybe some people um do you know you know what i mean by that yeah i I do and it's interesting i mean first of all you mentioned him being a career politician and ashley did suggest you know there's some experience there I, i just think it's interesting that he was city councilor never mayor of barry he was MP for Barry, but never was so much as a committee chairman when he was in Ottawa, certainly not in cabinet. And so provincial party leader is the highest office he's held. And what, what's he trying to do with it? Is he just trying to say what it takes to win favor with the group that he's in? I mean, mm-hmm. the thing I keep coming back to is he became conservative leader by running to the far right of the party, courting religious conservatives uh, like homophobic religious conservatives who were campaigning against sex ed at the time and ethnic conservatives who had a religious bent. So he went to the far right of the party to win the leadership and has now been tacking uh, to the center, but kind of like harem scarumly. Mm-hmm. And that's just weird to yeah. me. And um, it's it's cre- it's weird and creepy because like you, you mentioned, you know, like what um, you, you don't you because he has no apparent core values. It's like, why do you want this job? Like, what are you mm-hmm. what are you going to do with it? Like, it's sort of like, Ugh. well, and yeah, and my my head's exploded because obviously he wants the job because there are, is a constituency out there that despises the Ontario Liberal government, that is fed up even with, you know, Premier Wynne, who is meant to be the the fresh face for a fairly long-serving Liberal government. There's people who are upset about hydro or, um, I mean, the economy is actually the fastest growing in the country, but you wouldn't know it from listening to conservative talk radio. Mm-hmm. But um, he, he clearly wants to get the Liberals out. The problem is uh, when he criticizes cap-and-trade, the uh, Liberals' preferred way of uh, pricing pollution, my head explodes because he wants a carbon tax, which is arguably less effective, but more expensive. Mm. Um, I remember I was on a panel on CTV and this um, NDP guy was going, well, liberals support the Keystone Pipeline. I was like, buddy, you support a pipeline that goes from Alberta to Nova Scotia across the entirety of Canada. Don't lecture me on pipelines when you support an even bigger one. And that's how I kind of feel about Patrick Brown railing against pollution pricing. It's like you support the more expensive type of carbon pricing. Well, there's a de- that's debatable, right? Because you've got the cap and trade uh, system where the carbon credits are ba- the price of a carbon credit is based on the market, right? It f- it's not it's not set. Um, it may be it potentially is a more effective way of reducing emissions because you have the cap on emissions where it's like no this is this is how much we get to emit and then you and then you start to pay um, but there is something that he said about carbon pricing being um, more predictable for businesses like businesses can plan for the oh, sorry, sure, oh, sure. sorry a carbon tax a business can plan for uh, uh, a, like what how much that like uh, sorry, 
they can plan, they know definitively how much it is going to cost them. Whereas with the cap and trade system, it's a little, um, it's a little less. So I kind of get from a conservative perspective why he would support that. But I do take your point about, it's like, well, yeah, like you, you say that now, but like, you know, a couple months ago, he was against carbon pricing entirely. I, I, I believe, right? Like he, he, right. he didn't and, want and anything to do with Yes. That. And that's my point. Like you just articulated like a fairly interesting debate you and I could have had over whether cap and trade is better than a carbon tax and vice versa. And maybe that's my, a new epi- another episode idea. Sure. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> but um, my, my broader point is he wants to be able to attack the liberals when he has at least the same policy from a cost standpoint, if not more. So it, it's, it's not that we're having a debate between ideas. It's that he's trying to pretend that he doesn't have this policy so he can curry favor with people who hate mm-hmm. the liberal policy. Mm-hmm. So it, it, I guess the equivalent would be if I was yelling at you for embezzling money while I was committing fraud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay, so yeah. I guess um, we've had a bit of a rant to follow our interview with Ashley, um, and we're not going to solve Patrick Brown and figure him out. I mean, smarter pundits than us have been trying for the better part of a year and a bit. Uh, so I think we'll end it there. Mm-hmm. Uh, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at armchairqbpod. I'm at j underscore scott underscore, and Tara is at Tara T Mahoney. Uh, and, uh, yeah, please rate us, subscribe and share the podcast with your friends on iTunes. Uh, what else are we on Tara? Um, we are on Google play now. Uh, you can find us on Google play, iTunes, SoundCloud. Um, and we're on player.fm if you use that to play your podcasts. Thanks for listening guys. And hope to see you next time.